0: welcome to unboxing fulfillment the modern b2c fulfillment podcast i'm your host chad and in this episode i'm joined by steve hopper founder and principal at invisid consulting steve welcome to the podcast thank you good to be here I got to tell you, I'm pretty excited to talk to you in this episode. I think you've got a few really interesting perspectives to bring to the conversation. A lot of our listeners and members are really listening to, uh, for for real, tangible types of experiences and advice that they can implement immediately. And I know you have uh, a bunch uh, spanning 30 years in the industry, so. Before we we get into some of the detail, do you want to just take a minute, Steve, and introduce a little bit about yourself and uh, about your company?
1: Sure. I am an industrial engineer by degree. And frankly, my underlying philosophy about so much of what we're going to discuss is rooted in industrial engineering. So I went to Georgia Tech. And uh, after getting out of school in the mid 80s, I went into this industry of warehousing distribution and logistics. I've always been in this field and after working for some other companies prior to 2004, I launched Invisit Consulting in 2004. Our mission is to help businesses plan and streamline their warehousing and distribution operations. So a lot of these principles we're going to talk about guide that thinking. My passion in, in my career is helping businesses make the kinds of improvements that reduce costs, improve capacity, improve service levels, and that sort of thing. So that's really what I'm focused on throughout my career. You
0: know, you've probably seen hundreds of different uh, fulfillment operations of all sorts of sizes and types, and we'll talk about what some of the good ones look like. But what are the big mistakes that you see companies make in today's environment when it comes to, you know, B2C fulfillment?
1: Sure. Well, I think uh, there are a few main ones that I see. Again, going back to this concept of being rooted in industrial engineering, at the end of the day, a business, uh, unless they're a nonprofit, a business at the end of the day is is looking to improve their profitability, and a lot of times certain decisions are made within the business structure related to warehousing and fulfillment distribution that, frankly, don't put that mentality first, the economics first, and they tend. A lot of companies, a lot of people tend to get sucked in by the the emotion by the sexiness of certain kinds of solutions rather than seeing, you know, various solutions as tools with the goal at the end of the day to improve the profitability of the company. So if, if companies would kind of take that step back and anything that they're really looking at as it applies to their fulfillment operation, to ask the question, You know, how does this improve our bottom line? You know, how does this help us achieve what our the, the mission of our company is? and for the shareholders of the business. And surprisingly, in case after case, I could tell you all kinds of stories, but in case after case, businesses just kind of jump into things without thinking or there's so much money on the table that they just leave there because they don't bother to uh, to do the due diligence to find ways to save that money.
0: So this is a good segue into, to, I guess, uh, saving many, uh, money or putting money to use. Up. Automation. What's your take on... When to use it and when not to use it and any particular viewpoints that you hold when it comes to to the topic of automation?
1: Sure. Yeah, automation, I think that's a great example of what I was referring to a minute ago. That uh, People, I think, maybe go to Modex or Promat or one of these shows and they're just, oh, wow, kid in a candy store, you know, all of these things. And they think, oh, we got to have that. And that's really the wrong approach. I think, to start with looking at those solutions, first thing you got to do, and, you know, the engineering method, the first step of the engineering method is to find the problem. And then you look for ways to solve the problem. So automation is a wonderful tool, but it is a tool. It's not a goal. And many times when I kick off projects with clients, I'll ask them for their top three goals before we ever start to do any work. And it's surprising to me that oftentimes I'll say, oh, well, our goal is to automate. Well, my question to that is, why? tell me why you want that's not really a goal that may be a, a a way to reach a goal but is the goal really to automate or is the goal really to save money to encrypt improve accuracy you know these kinds of things so automation i'm a big fan of automation but there are times frankly when the more automated solution isn't always the most cost-effective solution to provide the result desired or to reach the goal. I'll give you a quick example. Um, we were working with a client that distributes packaging materials. Uh, I won't mention their name, but they're a well-known manufacturer distributor of packaging materials. And we looked at 22 different methods of order picking. And I'm not kidding about that. We actually analyzed 22 separate methods ranging from one end, the very manual methods of order picking all the way up to the very automated. And the best solution and from an economic standpoint, when you really evaluate it all the way down, it wasn't the most automated. It was somewhere in the middle. It involved, you know, some levels of automation and mechanization. But if they had approached it by drinking the Kool-Aid of automation and said, we just got to automate and go with automation, that might not have led to the most economic results. And that was really what they were trying to to find.
0: It's funny that you bring up the Modex and different uh, expos. I find myself when I go to Modex, you know, day one or another, not to name Modex specifically, but you walk it all day long and and you come away with all sorts of, you know, little shiny new ideas and then when you come back and you sit down and you really start to put pen to paper and to determine if it's the right level of solution, like 95% of the time they're just they're just not, but but it feels good and I think a lot of people shop online for their technology or go to the trade shows and just think that's that's the answer?
1: Well, there's um, no question. You know, it's important to be aware of what the industry offers, but I think it's dangerous to, before you have done your due diligence to understand what exactly it is you're trying to solve... And what exactly it is you're trying to gain in terms of a business. It can be dangerous if you're naive and go to those shows and suddenly get en- enraptured by all of these gee whiz, cool things that you see. They're kind of like toys, right? And they all serve a purpose. And given a certain set of business requirements and goals and challenges, any given toy in that that trade show might be a, the best solution. But I think the mistake is starting out by looking at, at the solution. The example I give a lot of clients is, you know, you don't. People don't want to buy drills. They want holes, right? The only reason anybody ever buys a drill is because they want to have some holes. So you need to figure out what kinds of holes do you need, and then find the right drill that's going to give you those holes. And so this is really no different. To figure out what it is you're trying to do with the the distribution operation, with the fulfillment operation, with order picking, with receiving, all of these different things. What do you need to get out of that operation and then to work backwards to find the right tool for the job, so to speak, to satisfy that?
0: So you you talk or I've heard you mention, you, you know, not cutting butter with a cheap <laughs> dog. Right. <laughs> and and to be more requirements driven and, and, you know, less solutions driven. And I'm, you know, probably the Internet's going crazy right now listening to that comment come out of my mouth. Uh, <laughs> what the heck
1: does that mean? Well that you know that's uh, I actually have a graphic of that that I sometimes use with presentations that I give, but but that's exactly what I'm talking about. you know if you have to cut butter i mean I, I don't think any reasonable person listening to this whatever, if they had some butter to cut, would break out a chainsaw and to to cut the butter, but surprisingly, that happens a lot in business We have a client right now who again, I won't name, but you know they're just so enraptured by what they've seen with AMRs and and this kind of thing. Oh, we need AMRs for order picking. Well, when you really look at the scale of their operation and the attributes of their facility and some of these kinds of things, really, AMRs are not the recommended solution that we provided. And there's almost a disappointment in their voice. Like, oh, gee, we were kind of hoping that we'd get the AMRs. So the cutting butter with the chainsaw thing is just representative of what I see and hear a lot in the industry, that that companies just are, are so hung up on the cool chainsaw whether or not it's the right tool to be cutting the butter with
0: it's kind of like i guess using that analogy you might just need a hole in the wall but you could do it with a little uh a nail uh you may not need the drill altogether yeah yeah that's yeah. a great point yeah just overproduced, overburdened
1: technology uh you're still just needing the hole you don't you don't even need the drill well and you know the old the old philosophy of keep it simple the kiss philosophy keep it simple stupid and and you know as as an engineer you know you're it's it's better to find the simple way to do it, eliminate some complexity, and certainly you know cost at risk by going with a simpler solution can sometimes be a better way to go
0: yeah, you're absolutely right about that i I find myself in those same scenarios all the time where I want to use the drill right I want to use the sexy technology because other people are using it, but i just I just don't need it and and it's it takes a lot of uh restraint sometimes to to not go down that path
1: Uh, i think i think the um approach comes down to math you know one of the things i'm constantly telling clients to do is do the math i mean break down your problem into things like units and labor costs and space and these things and analyze what is it ultimately going to cost you to do it the way you're doing it now and what solutions would help you reduce the things that that make that result in costs and, you know, to find a more economic way to do it. So I very much believe that uh, these kinds of problems are heavily math driven. And so, you know, garbage in, garbage out kind of thing. We've always heard that about, about math and computing and so forth. You know, really taking the time to to think through what are your numbers? The old expression, if you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. And you have to understand which which numbers are KPIs, key performance indicators, which ones of those drive your business and your profitability? And what levers can you flip that are going to impact those numbers and drive them in the right direction?
0: You know, I'm a big proponent and fan of activities are interesting, but uh, results matter. How do you, especially, you know, coming at problems or solutions from a engineering perspective? How do you think about productivity in the warehouse? What type of direct to consumer brands do you think get it wrong when they're trying to just increase productivity? Is it that they don't have the right tool? Is it that they just don't even have a tool? They don't know what key price to measure. What can you kind of share from a productivity perspective
1: uh, of? warehouses or customers that get it right and, and those that get it wrong. I hate to be a little cynical about this, but I think there's even a misunderstanding what is productivity. By industrial engineering standards, productivity has to do with resources out divided by resources in. So an example of that might be units per hour, right? You, you get units out of some production operation based on hours you put in. Very common example. But you know, before you do anything with productivity, you need to understand what metric is the right metric or maybe multiple metrics are the right metrics to measure. So, uh, you know, they, they say you can't manage what you don't measure. So you've got to really understand what are these metrics. And then as you measure them, look for the things I mentioned, the levers earlier, what levers can you flip that are going to drive those metrics in the right direction? And I think that's where a lot of companies really get tripped up. They don't have the means. Well, first of all, they haven't gone through that process, as I said, of defining what their metrics are that they want to improve, but then they don't have the means to measure them. So it's kind of like, what difference does it make? If all you're going to do is gauge the productivity of your people based on watching them in a flurry of activity, that doesn't mean they're productive. It may mean they're moving, but that doesn't mean they're productive because you're not measuring that output of productivity. Mm -hmm. And when we do a process reengineering exercise, for example, we'll take one activity, maybe it's order picking to use that as an example. And we break down that activity into all of the steps that are required to perform that activity and all of the, you know, your classic Visio chart, right? Your flow chart that shows, you know, all the steps and all the decision points and the inputs and the outputs. And we walk through that with the client and we ask, we ask kind of a threefold question. This step right here, is it necessary? Okay, so certain certainly if something's necessary, you know, that's important. If it's not necessary, then the question is, why are you even doing it in the first place? Right. So then the secondary question, if it's necessary, does it add value? And when you kind of go through the process and eliminate steps and activities, really, that's what you're asking about, that don't add value or that are unnecessary, suddenly the level of activity goes down. Right. So when the level of activity goes down, you're making yourself more productive. Various statistics that have been, have come out of things like university research show that about 60% order of magnitude, it varies by company. But just to use a number, about 60% of an average warehouse worker's time is spent walking or driving some kind of a vehicle. And that's purely transportation. You know, A, is it necessary? It might be necessary, but, you know, does it add value? Transportation generally doesn't really add value. You're just moving from point A to point B. So if you can find ways to reduce the walking and the moving, you're automatically improving productivity.
0: Is this an example, Steve, of like a step that's necessary, but it doesn't add value? Is walking uh, an example of that?
1: It it certainly doesn't add value because it doesn't change the condition of a product and so forth while you're doing it. Walking can be necessary because of the distance between two places in a facility or between picks or whatever it might be. So as you attack that and you start to say, what can we do in our operation that's going to reduce the distance, just to use an example, the distance between two activities that have to happen, then you're improving productivity because you're freeing up time that can be used for productive activities. Yeah, it's it's interesting that as you go through this kind of re engineering process, very often, you know, these activities that look like to the untrained eye, they look like productivity, but they're not. They're just activity. A lot of that activity goes away. And when that activity goes away, especially the activity that is unnecessary, productivity goes up. Because I mean, let's use that sixty percent example. If your workers spending sixty percent of their time walking, and 40% of their time doing productive work, if you can reduce the walking by half, you've gained an extra 30% of their time that you can have them doing productive work. So that means their productivity is almost going to double right there by just eliminating the unnecessary walking. So there's so much meat on the bone, so to speak, in, in most operations that businesses just don't realize how much money they're leaving on the table by not approaching the operation from that perspective and instead their minds are going to automation and all this other stuff, which is great, but you know, Hey, use the resources that you already have and get the best out of them before you start, you know, really jumping for all of these toys in the, in the, uh, Uh,
0: I agree. And and knowing truly what the definition of productivity is to your point, right? What's the difference between activity and productivity. And if you start with just the activity, that's non-value add and identifying those and getting those types of hours out of the building, that's a, you know, I would argue probably as effective as some of the automation that could come into play because what's well, left is the productivity, unless automation replaces some, some of that.
1: Activity. Well, I was going to say, I, what, what we often see is a one plus one equals three scenario where step one is you really streamline the operations you already have, get the best out of your space and your people. Your equipment that you already have. That's that's kind of the first one. And then find ways, once you've already streamlined it, find ways to automate that. Automate it either with physical automation or with, with software, WMS and these kinds of things to take it to the next level. And then the combined result of those two steps, you get kind of a compounding factor so that you really get tremendous gains when you take both steps.
0: Makes perfect sense. So is it true that, uh, just changing topics for a second, is it true that you maintain a uh, collection of scary stories?
1: (laughs) I started doing this several years ago and and I was trying to be careful how I did it because these stories come from clients and I I certainly don't want to, you know, name a client and get put them in a bad light and certain get sued or anything as a result of that. But I started thinking to myself, you know, there are a lot of very big companies, frankly, doing if you'll forgive the term, really stupid things and things that are really hurting their business and frankly, hurting their shareholders at the end of the day, whether it's private or public shareholders. And so I started making a list of things that I'd observed in these companies. And now that I've noticed so many of them, I've had the opportunity several times at conferences and so forth to give a presentation that I refer to tales from the, from the distribution dark side. <laughs> and and um, so you know I I can take a few minutes to to give during that presentation without naming any names to protect the innocent so to speak just stories about just things that remarkable things that companies do and just frankly don't take the time to figure out how to do better it's it's really remarkable
0: it sounds like a whole another podcast into itself <laughs> it is or, yeah or, or a book or a book that you can <laughs> uh, you can release so a lot of the listeners. Particularly the ones that are in the business and that are in a, you know, frontline manage, managerial role that are under stress to, to just, or pressure to just increase throughput by lowering some of their costs. You know, what advice do you give to those leaders listening? How would you go about it? In addition to what you just described, you know, the one plus one equals three, but are there any other types of insights you would offer?
1: Yeah. Well, it, it really, um, I talk about the basic blocking and tackling, and we've touched on this, uh, not to, you know, beat the, beat the horse, so to speak, the dead horse, but, you know, to, to sort of like hit the pause button before you just barge forward and do something, even if it's wrong, to think through the problem, to, like I said, define the problem, define the goals, to really think through what are the economics of doing things the way we do versus the way we could do them. One of the things that we do as a firm, A lot is an assessment and we probably do a dozen or so of these a year with with businesses but the purpose of an assessment is like I attribute it to like getting a physical at the doctor you know it's recommended we're supposed to get a physical every year I just had mine a couple weeks ago the purpose of a physical isn't specifically to solve some problem The purpose of the physical is to get a sense of what's your current health you know and what are overall the things that that the doctor would recommend that you do to improve your health and what does the doctor do to do that the doctor takes your weight takes your blood pressure maybe draws some blood to look at your cholesterol you know this this kind of thing Runs some tests asks you a bunch of questions about how do you feel and does anything hurt and this sort of thing and then the doctor can point you in the right direction to start doing things like in my case you know hey steve lose some weight you know or Get some more exercise, whatever it is, and by going through that process, I have a kind of a a roadmap to better health by dealing with my doctor and getting that advice. So these assessments that we do are, are really for the same purpose. It's think of like going to the warehouse doctor, right? So by doing an assessment over a couple of days, you can really get a sense of what are the areas of my operation that could be improved just based on having someone who's (laughs) you know, spent decades, at least in my case, seeing operations and getting a sense of where do you stand relative to best practices in the industry? Where do you stand relative to opportunities that you're missing here in in the operation? And being able to define the next steps, I guess, you know, where's the the low-hanging fruit? They talk about low-hanging fruit or quick hits, as well as the longer-term, more strategic things that may not be so quick but could have profound impact on the operation. I'm just, if you don't bother to if you don't bother to to examine the operation and see what those opportunities are you'd never really know where to start to make the improvements.
0: We do quite a bit of those assessments internally at uh, Amware as well. I'm curious how often do you update the assessments? Are they tried and, I mean tried and true
1: but over time do you, do you do kind of update what gets assessed? Yeah, that's, it's a very good question. We encourage our clients to do it fairly often. I would, you know, I think in a, in a good scenario, you do it once every year or two, but rarely do clients actually do that. We're getting ready to do one with a client that we did one five years ago and kind of refresh that. So five years have gone by since we did the one for them. But oftentimes, you know, as a result of the assessment, there are some directions that come out of that that Take time to implement, right? I mean, like I said, some of these more strategic things like implement a WMS. I mean, it's surprising to me how few companies of size, I mean, of, you know, medium sized businesses that still have never implemented a WMS and, and they just don't realize how much, again, money they're leaving on the table. But implementing one of those takes time. So you have to allow the implementation to occur and then be able to measure the benefits of it before you it would really make sense to do another assessment. So in that case, you know, probably a year plus before you'd go back and, and revisit it. But in the meantime, these KPIs we talked about should be tracked on really on an ongoing basis. You know, depending on the KPI, you'd want to look at those daily, weekly, possibly monthly to gauge. It's just like your blood pressure and your weight. You know, you don't wait a year to check that. You, you want to make sure you're you're checking them over time and hopefully seeing the trend go in the right direction as time goes on.
0: This episode is sponsored by Amware fulfillment. Amware is a third party fulfillment company that provides pick, pack and ship services to established direct to consumer brands with fulfillment centers in every region of the U S Amware supports one to two day ground delivery to 95% of the country. In short, Amware takes care of everything after the click. Learn more at amwarefulfillment.com. First of all, I mean, Steve, I I appreciate taking the time. I know before we started the podcast and went on air, we both kind of joked that we could make this several hours. And I think we both believe we could. (laughs) Uh, and, And I would love to follow up on the assessment myself with amware with you but where can other people go where their listeners go to get in touch with you to know more about your company or perhaps start with a uh, an assessment
1: sure well you know my website's probably the quickest place to go and and i think you guys are going to show that link but it's com, and you can shoot us a note there as far as what what specifically your challenges are you know what you want to be when you grow up kind of thing and based on that we'll have a sense of where to start but i think you're right Many, if not most of the client engagements we have begin with the assessment because oftentimes the client doesn't really know what they need to improve. They just know they want it better and are not specifically sure what it's going to take to do that. So the assessment helps kind of lay that course. uh, You
0: don't know what you don't know until you get that. Right. It's like going back to the doctor, right? You don't know until you kind of, that's the beginning, the first step in the journey to get better. So. Uh, Well, you can count on me to to follow up Steve afterwards for sure. And I hope uh, all of our listeners do. This concludes our episode of Unboxing Fulfillment, the modern B2C Fulfillment podcast. Stay safe, everyone.